Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? I've been told that we're not reading Psalm 5 responsibly right now, so I'm just going to read through Psalm 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. The glass withers and the flower falls. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you give other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The Gospel of our Lord. Thank you, Becky. You're a really good reader, Becky. I like that. God's Word is living and active. We don't need to treat it like it's a recitation, uh, like Latin phrases that we learned when we were young or something like that, that are really, really boring. Um, sorry. Not really. Uh, so we are in... I know, Thomas is crying. Somebody give him a hug. Thomas Hayes was my Latin teacher and is now a Latin teacher at Macaulay and part, as part of his role there. So... Sorry, not to be a too insider there. All right, let's jump in. Here we go. We are in a series uh, called Life Together that is loosely based uh, on the book of the same name by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, We're just taking different sections of that book, different themes, and and, and preaching along that line for what does it mean to live together as God's people. So this week... um, 
we are, we are, uh, the, the sermon is on prayer. And, uh, and as I thought about this, uh, what to preach this week, I have a really hard time um, with, uh, with topical, like, like prayer, like just preach on prayer. That's really hard for me. I feel like when somebody does that, my mind is like a box of firecrackers and somebody throws a lit match into them and they just go like everywhere. So I don't do a great job of kind of focusing and saying one thing or making it very clear at all. I try and say everything. Um, so as I was thinking about that, I thought, all right, well, how can I kind of narrow in and find something? And, um, and uh, what I landed on was the Lord's Prayer. As You know, that's a great, if you're going to talk about prayer, it's a good place to start. So, uh, so as I started diving into that and saying, okay, well, Lord, what would you have me share this week? Um, I couldn't get past that first phrase, our Father in heaven. And uh, I didn't know where, where to go with that. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't expand on that. Uh, I couldn't go deeper than that. So I figured, that's a pretty good sermon, our Father in heaven. Why don't we talk about that? So just two things today. To whom do we pray and how then should we pray? Um, this is one of these cool convergences that the Lord does from time to time that you aren't expecting at all, but he brings two kind of seemingly disparate things together. And so here's the sermon that he is, uh, that he's, that, that I'm preaching on, on what does it mean that we have a heavenly father. And then, uh, I've been, somehow this theme has been jumping out to me in movies that I've watched and books that I've read. And it's a theme that is really pre- prevalent today, but is, you know, spans all of time and stories. It's the theme of the absent father. Um, you'll notice that if you just start watching, especially these really very character-based uh, narratives, um, something like uh, Percy Jackson, which is very popular among tweens and 34-year-old dads. <laughs> it's a great story. So Percy Jackson, if you don't know, he's a, he is a, it's a story about the gods of Olympus and, and people and then the, the demigods or the heroes who are the children of humans. As one, pa- one parent is human and the other parent is a... Yeah, yeah. I can wait as long as you can. <laughs> the other parent is a god. That's the answer. It's a one-word answer. It's easy in church. It's usually the right one. All right. One parent is a god. This guy, Rick, who I don't know how to say his last name. Riordan. I've heard it a few... Okay, Riordan. He writes this wildly successful book, right? It's been into two horrible movies, but the, um, the, books, the books are good. And, uh, and he's written a bunch of them. He's still going. He's, and, and listen, the major theme for all the big characters in this book is this question, where's my dad? They, each of them are struggling with it in different ways. Where is my father? Does he care? Is he looking after me? Is he even listening when I talk to him? Because they're, they have a human parent and a God parent. And the God parent is other and heavenly, in a sense, other and away from them. And they don't know what to do with that. One character decides to rebel completely and, 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 and abandon any hopes of, of a relationship and any, uh, and any hope that he had in these gods to be good at all. Um, others... Uh, decide to remain faithful and fight for the gods and fight for their parents. It's a major theme. What else? Have you guys uh, another tweener that I love? The uh, the Hunger Games, great series, good movies too. Like it's pretty rare, but they put them both together. So that's a great series. Katniss Everdeen, the main character, is uh, has no father. 
right? Another one. Isn't that interesting? It just keeps coming. Um, Oh, man, what about this? Peter Parker. Peter Parker is the secret identity of Spider-Man. That's right. Or is Spider-Man Peter Parker's secret identity? You're going to have to think on that one. Peter Parker, he's an orphan, right? Orphan from early on. He goes to live with his aunt and uncle, and then by, you know, one part happenstance, one part irresponsibility on Peter's part, his uncle, his only father figure, is killed. Right around the time where Peter gets his powers, I know, spoiler alert, he's killed. And Peter is left to live out his days with this immense power, wondering, what, how do I be faithful to what Uncle Ben would have wanted me to do? How do I live out my life now without this guiding father figure? We won't even talk about Star Wars. It's too easy. <laughs> but Harry Potter, okay, no. Okay, so apparently, Harry Potter is one, though, for real. Apparently, if you want to write a wildly successful story and have a major character with whom everyone can attach and agree with and say, oh, I get why that character would do that. that makes, their motivation makes sense to me. Then make them an orphan. Because all of us live that way. All of us at some level are asking those questions. Where is my father? Does he care? Is he listening? So it's really pertinent that we would be talking about this today. So our Father, the prayer starts out, Our Father who art in heaven. So three things I want to, I want to talk about. He is ours, He is heavenly, and He is Father. If you know those three things, then it shapes and guides and, and draws your prayers out of you in a very unique and powerful way. So first, heavenly. J.I. Packer says, uh, when the Bible talks about God as heavenly or in heaven, the thought is not that God is far distant from us in space. That means he's not far away from us spatially, but that he is far above us in greatness and therefore is to be adored. So the idea is not that he's far away and silent and we don't know where he is like we're orphans without a father. The idea and the truth that's being conveyed is that he is powerful and he is great and he is all-knowing. If you want a good picture of all-knowing, go see a scary movie at an ethnically diverse theater. What's going to happen? There goes the young lady. She's been separated from all her friends. The killer's picked them off one by one. She doesn't know what to do. She could jump in the car and drive away, but I left my phone in the cabin. And they're going into the cabin. And then what's going to happen in that theater? What are you going to hear? Gosh. Yeah, it's going to sound a lot different than that, right? Oh, my goodness, don't do that. What are you? No. No, you know, you're going to get like this. They know what's going to happen. We all know what's going to happen. If that's what I'm, you know, we know the beginning from the end. Okay, that girl's going to live and that one's going to die and that guy's going to make it, but the killer's going to get it in the end. And we all know what's going to happen. It just so happens that in that kind of context, what, it gets shouted out. And if only the actress could hear and repent, she would be saved. That's omnipotence. That's the God that we serve, though. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what will happen. He knows what has happened. He knows intimately all the details of your life. 
the confession says it this way, that he controls every detail of his creation from the least to the greatest. He's heavenly. He's great. He knows all of it. When you call into those uh, support centers, if you're having a problem with, uh, you know, your cable or your phone or some utility, and and it's a fairly complex, it's always, it's, it's never a simple problem like, I have this problem, oh, okay, boop, boop, we fixed it, good. No, it's always really long, right? And you talk to the people and you think, my goodness, you're speaking English back to me, but it's like the words don't make a sentence. And, and you are not, I clearly I'm not getting through to you. And you just want to say, like, right off, you're like, listen, operator, you little, like, kind of paper day, I don't know, are you a temp, probably temp employee, you don't get it. Let me speak to a manager. I want to talk to somebody else who can solve this problem. We have a heavenly father. We get to go to the manager. Right? We don't have to, we get to talk to each other, but, but if we have a gripe, if we have a complaint, if we have a problem, you go to the heavenly one. He's the one who knows the beginning from the end. He's the one who knows, uh, who knows what it means, what a solution is in this case. And he speaks English too. He speaks them all, but... So he can help. He's our heavenly father. One person says it this way. Um, you know, God, was, God has existed from all eternity. Before creation, God existed, right? And we're told in Genesis 1 that out of darkness came light. So it seems that God existed in darkness for quite some time, like eternity past. It seems that when you and I don't know where to turn, don't know what to do, um, are confused, are suffering, we find ourselves in dead end, that we're in darkness. But our God is one who is comfortable in the dark. Right? We have a heavenly Father. He is great. He is all-knowing. He's the one we need to turn to. He's the one. But I think an obvious question at this point is, what? so... He's powerful, and is that supposed to make me trust him? That's laughable, truthfully, when you see the relationship, the power that most humans have. The power has been so often misused and corrupted and, uh, and used for selfish gain. So, it, so for me to just say he's heavenly, therefore pray to him and talk to him and trust him, doesn't go a long way for anyone who's experienced the abuse of power in any manner. But, now we'll come back to Star Wars. All right, Star Wars. Another father story. In this story, it's the wayward father who's rescued by the risky love of the son. Right? It's a great story of redemption, and we should all cheer, and that's great that, uh, that Anakin becomes Darth Vader and then becomes Anakin again because Luke... Uh, loves him enough to not give up on him and to pursue him until and, 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 and to keep after him. 
in this story, and in all these stories we should read, this is a story about God and man, right? When we hear fathers in stories, it's, it's oftentimes a symbol for, for what this author thinks about God. And so when we see a story that a man writes that says, the father is wayward, and it's up to the son to rescue him, we should hear his theology. But in our story, but in our story, it's the wayward children who are rescued by the risky love of the father. The father sends his son, his one and only son, to risk everything, to rescue his wayward kids. And that's what makes him trustworthy. Not just because he's powerful, but because he's good. And because he has sacrificed for you. And that makes him not only trustworthy, but that also makes him, that act of Jesus for you, makes him father. So he is heavenly, and he is also father. He's also father. You ever heard anybody um, pray when they pray? This is also like very disruptive, not disruptive, but very kind of catches my attention in public. I was in a, at a basketball game one time in high school, and they had different seniors pray before the games. And this one, uh, one gal got up, and she starts off her prayer in front of, you know, 1,500 people or something, very big game and all this and she starts out and she says daddy we're thankful to be here and everybody I mean you could just feel like the what what just happened there not I don't think it's an all I don't think it's a terrible thing at all but it catches everybody off guard right what that young girl and what others get right about that is that he is father he's approachable we can come to him he is he's he, he we can we can connect with him. We can relate with him. He's not just heavenly. He's also Father. My pastor growing up used to say that, uh, that Daddy, for Americans, probably is not a good translation of that Abba, Father passage. That's where people get to pray to Daddy. Is that Abba is the very familiar term for Father. Um, and he said, you know, it's probably not good for Americans because when we think about Daddy, we think about this big teddy bear and we crawl up in his lap and bat our eyes and ask him and he, he'll give us whatever we want. Kind of a sugar daddy, like, oh, daddy. You know, you're not really serious about that. Um, but he says, actually, a much better way to think about this is to, is to talk about Papa. This Papa. That, we, that, that, that Papa will take care of us. Papa. Papa will let us crawl up on his lap, but Papa will also run off the wolves if they come too close. Papa makes me feel safe. Papa is powerful to rescue. When you put these two together, heavenly and father, they really should be shocking. Have any of you guys seen that John Adams miniseries that came out on HBO a number of years ago? Um, It's really, really good. If you haven't seen it, I, I recommend it. Uh, we really, Rachel and I both really enjoyed it. It's about John Adams. It's right around... Uh, right after the Revolutionary War, and it's kind of the, you know, the fledgling new United States, uh, America, trying to kind of make it or whatever. And, uh, and John Adams is sent as an ambassador to, over to Europe to try and win good favor and kind of help with pol- uh, international policy and all this stuff. So he goes first to France, but then he ends up in England. And when he's in England, he gains an audience with King George. And before he can go there, you, there's a scene where one of the courtiers from King George comes, one of the, uh, and, and he tells John Adams all the rules he's got to follow when he comes into the presence of the king. It's in this totally separated room. 
Nobody else is in that room except as guards. And, and, when you, and when you come to court, you have to do all these different things as you approach the king. And so then you see John Adams walk into, uh, you know, the, the door opens. Somebody opens the door for him into the chamber of the king. The first thing he has to do is take a step. As soon as he's inside the chamber, he's got to bow low. And you see the courtier saying, well, let's practice this. No, you need to bow lower. No lower. And John Adams is getting all frustrated because he hates kings, right? He's an American. So <laughs> he's got to walk to him. He gets, you get halfway to the king and then bow again. And then when you approach the king at a certain distance, you bow a third time and wait. You do not speak. The king speaks to you. You answer the questions the king gives. You do not look him in the eye. And when he is finished, he will stop talking to you, and then you know it's time to leave. And when you leave, you may not turn your back to the king. You back out slowly, halfway, bow again, all the way to the door, and you see him fumbling for the door behind him, and then bow. That's, that's heavenly, right? That's, that's king. That's other. But then we have, we have in our scripture, our God reveals himself as heavenly and father. He puts those together. Who gets to go and jump on the lap of the king in that whole kingdom? All of Great Britain. Who would get to come and jump on King George's lap? Who? There's an answer again. Who? Children. I'll amplify that. Children. His children do. His kids get to come and jump on his lap. Right? He's still the king. That doesn't make him any less the king. But he is approachable. And he desires that from us. He's father. He's personal. He's personal. He's like a good coach who knows what each player needs. He knows you so intimately. He knows when you need encouragement. He knows when you need silence. He knows when you need, uh, you know, confrontation. He knows when you need gentleness. He knows you personally. That's what it means to be your father. That he wants your presence and he knows you intimately. So he's heavenly and he's father. But how do you know he's yours? How do you know he's not their heavenly father? Some other person's heavenly father. I have a friend, um, this, uh, this lady who used to meet with Rachel. When Rachel was in college, she would have Rachel over once, uh, once a week or so. And they would sit and talk. And... Um, and, and they became good friends. And Jenny is her name. And Jenny would often have strong doubts about, is, this, is, is he my heavenly father? Or is he just your heavenly father? Do I belong? And she would ask questions. She would talk to her husband, Clint. And she would say, Clint, I, I mean, I think if this was real, if I really believed this stuff, like I would, I would love him a lot more. And I would change. And I would stop losing it with the kids. And I would... I would you know, I would, my life would look a lot. I would pray to him. I would talk to him. I'd want to spend time with him. I, I just can't see that this really is real. I don't think that I belong to him. I don't think this is really real. I don't, I don't think that, uh, that I'm his. I just don't think I have it in me. And Clint would say, Clint would say, Jenny, do you, do you believe, do you have hope that Jesus is your only salvation from your sin. That only because of him 
are you rescued by God? You believe that? She would say, yeah, but, you know, there's, I don't ever, he'd say, wait, stop. That's it. That's it, you belong. He's yours. You see, our relationship to our Heavenly Father is not based on our sincerity or the depth of our conviction or our zeal or even our obedience. That relationship is wholly and fully based on what Jesus has accomplished and what he offers out to each of us. He is our Heavenly Father. He's ours. Romans 8 says it this way. This is exciting. Romans 8 says, you know, we talk about, we're talking about praying as God's people. Romans 8 says that the Spirit takes our prayers and translates them and brings them to the Father. He takes us. We're weak and we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know what to pray. But the Spirit brings them to the Father. And this is like, um, do you know what a, a chemical change is? When water turns to ice, that's a physical change, and it can be undone, right? It can melt again. But a chemical change is when one substance changes and becomes a whole other substance that can't be reversed. Like when coal turns into a diamond over years and years of intense pressure and weight. This is what the Spirit does for us before the Father. He takes our prayers, and He changes them. And he beautifies them and he purifies them and he brings them to the Father. He brings them to the Father on our behalf. And Jesus, Jesus stands, it says also in Romans 8, like that's not enough that the Spirit prays for us. Jesus also stands by the throne interceding for you and me. That means, that means if he is your heavenly Father, and you are sitting here feeling guilty that you aren't praying enough, as everyone does when they hear about prayer or evangelism, those two things, absolutely. I'm not doing them enough. If you feel that way, you have Jesus praying for you. Even your weakest, most guilt-laden half-prayer is beautified and purified and brought to the Father on your behalf. Now that, that will draw prayers out of you, right? That's like when, when Pastor Eric says, he prays, may your, may your listening ear, O oh Father, draw, suck prayers out of us like a vacuum. You guys heard him pray that before? It's always a funny image and it stuck with me. But I think this is what, it, this is what he's talking about. That the character of God is what pulls prayers out of us. That what he has accomplished is what makes us people who pray. Not because we're sincere or faithful or good. He is our Heavenly Father. He's ours. If He is ours, that word, there is, there is no secret code for really holy people to address God. Right? There are missionaries, really great pastors, like Eric, um, you know, 
those moms who blog and make all other moms feel guilty that they're not doing enough, none of those really holy people have a secret code for talking to God. All of us are called to say, pray to your Heavenly Father. Pray to our Heavenly Father. If all of it is based on grace, that all of us deserve an equal footing in the throne room, that all of us have our prayers translated by the Spirit and are interceded for by Jesus Christ, then your prayers are just as powerful as anyone you know. They're just as powerful. That means that means the creator and purveyor of pornography who is recovering and who is in various states of relapse and uh, and and who belongs to Jesus has a front seat at the throne because it's by grace. That means people who have left their families on purpose have a front seat at the throne. That means people who overspend, people who are stingy with the gifts God gives them, a front seat. A front seat because He's our Heavenly Father. There are no gradations in his listening ear. Our prayers travel at the same speed, reach him with the same intensity, and, uh, and attain the same reaction out of him. This means that we need to be praying with and for each other. This means that the the that the, uh, the weakest, most backslidden person you know, you can go to him boldly and say, I need you to pray for me. Because their prayers are powerful and effective. They are righteous in Christ. The prayers of a righteous man or woman availeth much. I was sitting on my couch this week with Reese. I can't even remember what context, what, why we are, what we are doing. And Reese looks at me and she says, Dad... God has a special love for poor people, doesn't he? I said, yeah, he does. He does. God says that he is near to the brokenhearted. Do you know what that means? That yes, we are all on even footing in our prayers. We all have as potential, as much potential to have the most powerful prayer life in existence. And God is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to the vulnerable and the weak. That means if you are struggling with depression, if anxiety has a grip on you, if you feel that your life is running out of control and you are just trying to keep up, then God is near to you. If you are a kid and you feel like you don't really have a place, like you just kind of follow people around, you know, Jesus told other people to get out of his way so he could get to the children. He has a special place for you. And we need to be going to these people. We need your prayers. Those of you who are, in, who are especially suffering, especially weak, we need your prayers. Come to the Father for us. Ask your kids to pray for you and with you. He's got a special place. We should also pray together. Last thing. In in a seminal work of fiction called World War Z, 
afterwards made into a movie that that bore no resemblance to the book whatsoever, but was still a fun movie. It's a zombie movie. It's awesome, okay? So there's these zombies attacking, right? And America is like, it's going to stop here, dang it, because we're America. And so they get like the most, the most, you know, technologically advanced army of all time suits up and comes to, to, uh, to confront the zombie horde, the mindless zombies stumbling towards them. That's all they're doing, right? They drool and all that, so they're mindless, right? And there's the most technologically advanced army of all time. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a mop up, right? They start, do, they start doing their thing of shooting the zombies and all that stuff, which is tons of fun. This is in the book, not the movie. So don't go looking for this great scene in the movie. You have to read the book. But what happens is, because of this technology that the U.S. Army really does use, called Land Warrior, every, every, uh, every combatant is linked to every other combatant via, you know, audio and visual. There's a camera on the gun, and they can all talk to each other. And they're all linked up together as they face this zombie horde coming. And before you know it, there's been a little bit of misinformation. Wait, the zombies aren't dying. Just, just a little bit. And it starts to spread. And then, and then after that comes fear. And people are not sure if they're going to... And then after that comes panic. And it comes a full-fledged rout. And, the, and this big bad army has to run away because of the intense link among them all. Spread this fear like a virus. But you know what? Our prayers work in exactly the opposite way. When we come to our Heavenly Father, when we come together to Him, boldness, courage, love, faithfulness is infused into our midst. And it can't be stopped. And it dispels fear and anxiety and uncertainty. We need to be praying together. We need, your, we need prayer together. We need to come before our Heavenly Father as one. To pray for one another, pray for your neighbors, and pray with each other to our Heavenly Father. He hears you. And he will answer, because as Oswald Chambers says, prayer is not preparation for the great work. Prayer is the great work. Will you pray this week? Will you trust that he is yours, that he is heavenly, and that he is Father? Amen.